Hi, John Schwab here, and welcome to a very special episode of the Curtain Call Theater Podcast, episode six of our Come From Away series, Welcome to the Rock. Rarely have we had the opportunity to take you on a real deep dive into a show like we have been doing with this series. In this episode, you'll hear from the Come From Aways, the inhabitants of Gander, and the cast members from the West End and Broadway, including Olivier Award nominee Rachel Tucker. I googled and I remember being flabbergasted that this story actually happened. Manager of Gander SPCA Bonnie Harris. Cats in particular are very tricky because if they had escaped from us, they were gone. American Airline Captain Beverly Bass. I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't want to fly. And many, many more. And if you didn't already know, Come From Away tells the true story of when 38 planes and thousands of passengers were diverted to this tiny community in Newfoundland on the northeast corner of North America. And people were invited into uh, the locals' homes. They were given everything, fed, housed, uh, and people changed their lives there. They fell in love, uh, they, they made lifelong friendships, and it's this extraordinary story of kindness set against the backdrop of this terrible tragedy. You just heard the voice of David Hine, one of the writers of Come From Away. But why is this musical such a runaway success? What is it about the stories of people from a small rural community on a Canadian island and the actors that portray them on stage that makes a compelling show that is a global hit? Find out in this series of Welcome to the Rock. Welcome to the Rock! Come From Away shares the incredible real-life story of the 7,000 airline passengers from all over the world who were grounded in Canada during the wake of 9-11, and the small Newfoundland community that invited these Come From Aways into their lives. As uneasiness turned into trust and music swirled into the night, gratitude grew into friendships, and their stories became a celebration of hope, humanity, and unity. We've had a fantastic time bringing you the story behind Come From Away in the previous episodes of this series. From David Hine and Irene Sankoff talking about a little idea they had for a musical, all the way to the Broadway and West End openings via a launch party at the Canadian Embassy in London. And we're dedicating the final three episodes of the series to bring you closer to the real-life characters from Come From Away and some of the people that play them on both sides of the Atlantic. As a result, the format of the last episodes is going to be slightly different in that we sit down with all the original cast members from the West End Company and ask them all the same questions to give you, the listener, a deeper understanding of the journey that the company have had on their travels from audition to opening night. But we also spent time talking with the real people that inspired the musical and heard straight from the source the stories that ended up in Come From Away. I think you'll agree that the conversations are fascinating and you'll get a deeper insight and understanding as to what makes this musical so special. In this episode, we're introducing you to Rachel Tucker and Captain Beverly Bass, Mary Doherty and Bonnie Harris, Nathaniel Campbell and Tom McGowan, who ends up as Bob in the musical, and lastly, Jonathan Andrew Hume and Kevin Young. We started out by asking the cast members if they had any idea about the story behind Come From Away. What about this? When I listened to the soundtrack um, and heard these accents, I remember Googling it and saying, either they're doing really bad Canadian <laughs> accents or this really accent exists, or, really <laughs> or this place actually exists. So 
I googled it. That was about two years before I had anything to do with the show, and I remember being flabbergasted that this story actually happened. And then, of course, the album cast album made a lot more sense, and I was kind of hooked then. And then I got called to say to come in for the show, so that was my introduction to it. I was only nine. Thank you. So, (laughs) so I sometimes when we when I got the job and started doing the research on it, I had to look back at what I even remembered of 9-11. Mm-hmm. So my version of 9-11 was being in school and being sent home early. My dad worked for the US government but in the UK. So all I cared about, really, was America being at war. Then in my mind, in my nine-year-old brain mind, my something's wrong with my dad, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I had no idea about Gander or anything like that. And anyway, obviously it's a story you remember forever, forever, yeah. but my version of it isn't as isn't like everyone else's because mm. I was a child. Yeah. Um, I had no idea whatsoever about yeah. the story of Gander and how they how they showed their unbelievable kindness. Um, when nine eleven happened, I, I'll never forget that day. I was working um, and I was on a on an interval break, and I was in the company office of the show I was working for, and the television was on, and just saw the planes going into the tower, and I honestly thought what movie are you watching? Mm. And then I saw BBC News at the mm. bottom and realising, okay, this is actually real. What on earth is happening? And just honestly had no idea what was going on with the world. Um, and everybody around us was just kind of numb. No one really knew how to react, how to how to go about the rest of the day. I had a show this, that same evening and mm. it was just the strangest feeling. And I think in relation to the show and what what it tells about how Gander took everybody in and looked after them and all that sort of stuff, I kind of feel that that would have been nice at that point in time, you know, where where I was in London. I that that sense of community and just unjudgmental kindness and and generosity. I think it was it's Clive that has said um, in the past, and I love it when he says it. It's like at that moment. In Ganda, they showed you know in a world in a time of sheer um, chaos and evil, that tiny town showed the world how to behave. And when being a part of the show and and experiencing that on a day to day basis, it just kind of restores your faith in humanity. Yeah. I think yeah. Um, yeah. to the point that looking back on that day. Now and with with the with the knowledge of how Ganda treated everybody and um, that were that were stranded there, it just kind of gives you hope and allows you to continue on in any other struggle or, or situation that may arise. That there is hope. That life does go on. That you can continue to find goodness in people, mm. regardless of the acts of a certain few. Safe to say that the stories of Gander and its surrounding communities weren't widely known at all by the cast. But once the decision was made by the creative team. What did the individuals involved think about the decision to make the story into a musical? Here's Captain Beverly Bass. <laughs> well, it was, <clears throat> it was actually so random because I think Tom was down in the breakfast area and ran into him and he said, there are two playwrights here that want to interview you. And uh, you, there were several other interviews that I was doing with the BBC and some other news people. And so I said, sure, of course, you know. I mean, I don't even know what playwrights are, honestly. (laughs) So, you know, I go down and there's this young couple and 
you know, so I talked to him for like three or four hours. I mean, the other interviews were very short and brief, three or four hours with them. And, um, you know, after that, I, I never even thought twice about anything developing from the interview. Learned a lot later, didn't we? <laughs> I guess I was learning a little bit about it from Facebook. And I knew that it had um, gone to Sheridan College, but you know, I don't, I, I didn't understand how that all worked. I didn't know that students actually did the musical before the real actor. I didn't, I didn't know how any of that worked. I just knew that something was happening. And then we got a call to see if we wanted to go to the premiere in La Jolla, and. You know, I said, oh my gosh, I can't believe they've actually written a musical about that. And of course, we went to La Jolla having no idea what the play was about, other than the interviews that they had done in Gander. And uh, that's how we learned about it. And what was it like to see herself portrayed on stage in that world premiere? Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, we were like front and center, maybe second row back, and... When Jen picks up the phone and says, I'm fine, Tom, I'm fine. That was the end for both of us. I mean, our heads are in our hands, we're bawling. It's still hard for me to get through it. And I think we missed probably 75% of the first show. I mean, I know we did. Um, it was just unbelievable because it was real. Sorry. <laughs> it was the way it really was. And honestly, I've always said, I think it might have been a little bit harder on Tom because it brought back that day to him so vividly with our kids who were eight and nine at the time. And it was a hard day for him because the event happened around nine o'clock in the morning. and. He didn't know where I was. He knew I was flying, but he didn't know where I was till about 4.30 in the afternoon. Well, I knew where I was. I knew I was okay. I knew I was on the ground in Gander, but see, he didn't know any of that. So it was, I think, more challenging for him during that time frame. And that's what the beginning of the play brought back to him. Once the show opened in La Jolla and made its way to Broadway and eventually the West End, we got to talk to the cast members about the chance to meet their counterparts in real life before portraying them on stage. And were they worried that they would get their characters right? But our director, Chris, was yeah. very clear to begin with that it isn't um, an absolute carbon copy of them. So he said to me particularly that how Bonnie's portrayed in the show is a lot more feisty and attitude-y than she might come across in real life. Mm. So he said, when you do meet her before press night, he said, don't let that enforce what's, what we've written in the text too much. Mm. And apparently when Bonnie 
saw the show, she was like, oh my God, I'm really kick-ass. Yeah, she's, really <laughs> she's like, I'm a badass. <laughs> and everyone was like, you totally are, Molly. <laughs> she was so sweet. She's very gentle, very softly spoken, isn't she? There's one line in the show where I say, I've got three, meaning three children. So I was like, so who are your kids? Because I can't research that. Mm. I can't find that out online. No. She was like, oh, they're three girls and they're called so, 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 and so, and they're these ages and they do this. and. So you get that backstory from them yeah. that you actually couldn't get in the text, which yeah. really richened the performance for me. Yeah. So now every time I say that line, I know I'm talking about three girls. and yeah. So it was mm. amazing meeting her. It was really amazing. I loved it. We're quite um, fortunate in this day and age, obviously, because we've got Facebook and we've got all the mm. social media stuff. So when, we, when people started finding out that they've got the job, there was this WhatsApp group that started for, by someone oh, started yeah. up a WhatsApp group because some, I didn't know anybody in the cast, but some people knew other people and they, yeah. they found out they got the job. So apparently in this WhatsApp group for ages, there was, who's playing Kevin J? Yeah. Who's playing Kevin J? Oh, yeah. And then I went for a meal. Our producers were lovely enough to take us all out for a meal before we started rehearsals. Mm. And they said to me, oh, so you've, I know you guys have been talking with the WhatsApp group. And I was like, what? <laughs> what what's what's going on <laughs> so you know people were starting to connect before we started the rehearsals um people's counterparts were also connecting with each other um i know the real kevin t contacted david shannon who plays kevin t in the show uh people in other companies as well even with the australian cast i know that janice has um and now she put on her Oh, yeah. Instagram that oh, she's, really? she's, she's playing Janice and she's got in contact and you know oh. we're talking and everybody's talking with each other and it's yeah. just that that level of community that we show on the stage mm. literally happens backstage as well not just with the cast but with the crew front of house everybody yes I met uh, Captain Beverly Bass mm. in Dublin and London here on our opening night and when I got talking to Beverly what I loved was the little nuances that the director the creative team didn't or couldn't pass on the things that she's just remembered in that moment like she says like the winds were the wind and the rain as we got into the plane and ready to take off before the hurricane hit literally if they hadn't have taken off there and then they would have had to ground the planes for until the storm passed and they'd already been there five days and she was like the rain was hitting the plane sideways you know little things like that so that influences how I say that line we have to leave we have to leave now it's so vital to mm. get that across how important it is that we've got to get these planes off the ground mm. little things like that um, she's a massive massive fan and like real flag bearer of the show and uh, uh, you know a, 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 champion. A, a champion of it and you know being the first woman pilot working for American Airlines in the 80s like that's so recent to hear mm. that from a woman's her point of view and what she's she had still to, flying right yeah she's still flying yeah. she flies VIPs across America wow. and just hearing her story as you know as a woman pilot is really it is a, she's just champ she's just a champion to me a hero and and I love telling her story through a song. Speaking of telling her story in a song, to kick off some of the Newfoundlanders and Come From Aways relating some of their own stories that made it into the show, here's Captain Beverly Bass telling the story of her career, which ends up being the song, Me and the Sky. 
Well, I always wanted to be a pilot. I mean, I honestly remember at eight years old telling my parents that I wanted to fly and I would beg anybody to take me to the airport to watch the airplanes. I was just obsessed with airplanes. So when I left for college and I came home, I took my first lesson and that's when I came home and I said, I'll fly for the rest of my life. And I knew, I knew it then, I knew no matter what. I went back to college, TCU in Fort Worth, got all of my license and ratings and then I needed to get a job. And it was very hard back then for women to get flying jobs, especially in Texas. <laughs> so there was a gentleman who kept his airplane at our flight school, and he was a mortician, and the airplane was used to transport bodies. And so one day, all the guys were gone, so I said, I'll do it. But I didn't have enough flight time. You had to have 500 hours to qualify for his insurance and I had 300 hours. So he called his insurance company, got a waiver for me, and I flew for him that day. And then I flew for him for two years after that. And it really is true. I had to climb over the body to get to my seat. Their face was right here. So, yeah. But I was so proud of the job because for the first time ever, I was being paid to fly an airplane instead of me paying to fly. So it was great. I always wanted to fly the biggest airplanes, and of course the airlines had the biggest airplanes, but of course there weren't any women airline pilots back then. So I, I wrestled with applying to the airlines. I thought about not checking the box that said male or female. I wasn't sure how to do that. And by the time I ended up truly being qualified to fly for the airlines, a few women had been hired. I was the third for American, but the first captain for American. It's just the way it worked out, I was the first female captain. Oh, that was a great time, really. Um, 1986, and, and I got a, a, what we call awarded the bid to fly captain. It was actually in Washington, D.C., even though I was living in Dallas. So I was going to commute to D.C., and I went through training, which is six weeks long, very intense. I was a little bit like a fish in a bowl because everybody is wanting to know my progress every day, wanting to know, you know, if I'm making any mistakes. They're, they know everything about every aspect of my training. And when I would go in the simulator, there would be hordes of people swarming the simulator to see the new female captain. Yeah, it was pretty daunting. But you know what, they were, they treated me with such respect and I feel like even as a new captain, I was very well received by the co-pilots and everything. And then two years after that, I became the first female Czech airman for American, which is a captain who is going to give checks to captains and co-pilots. So now I'm giving check rides to very senior captains and I'm like 34 years old. So, so it, was, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. One of the show's more memorable moments comes from Durham and Bob's barbecue gathering. Basically, I mean, I know nice everybody story. in a small town of 700 people. I know everyone, and I know who, where they are on any given day. I did, though. You know, we sent, we, we just went out to get some barbecues. Like if I ran out of propane in my, at my 
in the evening when I was cooking for myself, I'd run across the street and I'd grab somebody's propane cylinder and I'd put it on mine and I'd probably bring it back the next day or the next day after. You know, that happened and, and it was just because everybody in the community was involved in different things. There was hardly anyone home in their, ho in their houses, so when, when Tom uh, was, uh, was helping me with the barbecues, he said, you know, you're taking somebody's barbecue and then we're taking another barbecue. You know, if you did this in New York, you'd probably be shot. So I think that that's yeah. where it all, that's, that story came from. I, Derm is saying that, yeah, we, he, we know everybody and uh, you, you can do that. Meanwhile, he was waiting at his truck and out he's sending me into people's yards to take their barbecues. And you know, it is not something I would do at home. I would never, first of all, even though there were no fences, I wouldn't go on someone's property. And, um, and then as we're, I'm wheeling them out, they're squeaking and pulling them out of people's yards. So even though I'm trying to sneak them out, they're making all this noise. And uh, down two houses, there was a, a gentleman sitting there and, and saying, where are you going with the barbecue? I said, down to the community. Said, Derm's right here. And, so, he, figured he, he, could, he figured he could count on me to get him out of trouble, yeah. but I wasn't about to. <laughs> Truck zooming away. And what was it like for Bonnie and all those animals? After all day, we realized we had only um, cleaned about half of the planes that had animals on them, so we knew this was going to be quite a task. Um, I came across um, a cat carrier that had pill bottle taped on the, on the top of the kennel. We found a total of, I think it was 18, 19 animals, um, 11 dogs, nine cats, and uh, I think there were the two bonobo monkeys. <laughs> Once the animals got off the plane, they were housed in the same uh, area as the dogs. And uh, you know, it's true, they, they did pick up the barking of the dogs. So when we'd walk into the hangar, the dogs would start barking and the, and the bonobos would start barking also. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. <laughs> we knew that we had gotten up there 24 hours after those planes had landed. They had probably been fasted before the travel. Um, our weather at that time was really warm, which was unusual. Um, and they had been stuck in those cargo holds. And uh, as I said, it's animals are my passion. And uh, somebody had to take care of them. The reactions from audience members across the globe to Come From Away have seen them take to social media to express how the show has changed them, made them think about who they are, and how they would react under the same circumstances. To end each of these final three episodes, we wanted to find out how the show has changed those who perform in it every day. Being able to tell this story every day and um, seeing people who are so warm and open towards talking to me, Nathaniel, as the actor, about their experiences, I'm very humbled by. But it's, it's almost part of the duty of the show and welcoming them in and listening to their stories and just having that little bit more kindness and warmth and openness, which I hope I have forever. I think for me, I definitely, it's done two things. One, I feel a bit more grateful, you mm, know. Yeah. I've got a friend who's really zen and really good at all of this, mindfulness and gratitude. She's got a gratitude pebble. Okay. I kind of love that. But this show's like a little gratitude pebble. You don't have the pebble, but you just, you're just grateful. I don't know. Grateful for the opportunity, for the friends you meet, grateful yeah. for the people it's based on, grateful to be telling the story and that, you know, we're very lucky. It just mm. makes you remember we're just really lucky. 
And also, kindness is so easy, it doesn't have to cost a fortune. It's just really easy, even if you say something nice to somebody in need or just caring for people. It, you, you can't do the show every night and go home on the tube and see the homeless person and not buy them a sandwich, put a bit of money in the cup, say, are you okay? Or do something, or want to do something. That's, it, there's definitely more awareness on who you can help. It's made me more aware of how individuals can affect other individuals. You know, we, we sit and watch TV and we watch commercials about charities saying give money and do this to help some cause which is way far out of our reach that we can't actually touch or do anything physically with at that moment in time. But, and we get very consumed in our own lives and our own stresses yeah. and our own troubles and get this, this feeling that this is our life and it's very selfish in that respect and I think what this show has done is it has um, just enlightened the fact that you as an individual can make a difference whether it is buying someone's coffee whether it is putting some money in, in um, someone's pot if they're, if they're homeless or helping somebody across the road or just giving somebody a smile and rather than dwelling upon oh my gosh my day was so bad this morning it's more about thinking how can I make this day better not just for yeah. myself, but for the people around me and who I yeah. affect. That's what the show has done. It's not just cast members whose lives have changed. Here's Kevin Jay. I believe that more now than ever, it's incredibly important that we reach out to people who may, people we may think of as strangers, people who we may not have ever met anyone who's remotely like them before, but. They just don't judge in Gander. They just, I hear that from them all the time. And uh, it's, it's very true. They treated everyone with respect and love. So there you have it. We hope you've enjoyed meeting members of the West End cast, the Newfoundlanders, and the Come From Aways that little bit more closely and heard firsthand some of the stories that found their way into the musical. Join us for episode seven, when we continue introducing you in detail to more members of the company and their real counterparts. And you'll also hear some more of the true stories behind the events of Come From Away. See you in the next episode of Welcome to the Rock. <laughs>